All right, so we are starting a new sermon series this week that is leading into Christmas. And this will be kind of obvious, but, you know, it's coming. I cannot believe it, by the way, that we're like four weeks, five weeks from Christmas. Don't hold me to that five-week thing. Uh, it is coming quickly. And so we, I wanted to take some time and consider again um, the, what we do this time of year and what not just us, but everyone celebrates this time of year in our, in our communities um, I was talking to someone and they said, are you going to do the thing that you usually do where we talk about Christmas? And I'm like, that, yeah, that's what we do, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I, we were singing the worship songs this morning and we were singing about Christ is raised from the dead and I was overwhelmed with the reality again that had he not come incarnate, in person to love us and lead us, he would not have died for us. He could not have died for us. And so isn't it interesting that while we're leaning into Christmas, we're celebrating his death and resurrection. Had he not ever been born, we would have no salvation from Jesus. And that's really interesting to me. So as I was thinking about this, what we're going to talk about, I had read an article, so I'm going to be full disclosure with you. I read an article that said that we need to tell better church stories, right? In other words, like, how do you engage with your neighbors, your friends, the people who are, think that they're far from God, that God doesn't care about them? And, and this article made a point to say, you should tell better church stories, right? Tell better stories about how, what God is doing in your life, how he's transformed us because we know him. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And they said one thing in there that just tripped my trigger. This was like months ago, but about Christmas. He said, they said this. They said that, isn't it remarkable that despite all the hardships, Mary and Joseph still made a home for Jesus. I think it's funny because we think about Christmas a lot of times. We think about the, the pageantry and the suffering and the barn or the, you know, we're actually going to go to a barn on the 25th to celebrate, or 24th, <laughs> to celebrate Christmas Eve. And it's so cool and it's usually kind of cold and the wind comes through and, you know, you really, the animals are making noises. But isn't it interesting that the story is not, wow, what a bad situation, but in spite of all that, and we're going to talk about this stuff this morning, Mary and Joseph still made a home for Jesus. And I was like, what? Isn't that wild? I mean, and think about that. They raised him from the time he was born until his call into ministry at 30. And we know there's one story about him at 13, but isn't it remarkable that they had the privilege, the pleasure, the honor of raising Jesus? And it might be we would think, well that'd be easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> like wouldn't Jesus be the best kid ever? <laughs> I don't know. It might be the hardest job to raise Jesus. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about that, think about that, with, beginning with Mary and Joseph, but not just, we're not going to spend the whole series on them, all the people whom Christ made himself known to, but we'll start with Mary and Jesus. I don't know what it's like, and every time, we just had Thanksgiving, uh, we all did, um, but we had a big gathering at our house, it was awesome, it was, we were really blessed, but I don't know how it was for you guys, but sometimes when you start out with that, you're kind of nervous about how it's going to go. You don't know how the food's going to go, you don't know how the hospitality, you're not sure you're going to be getting along that day with your husband or wife if you're hosting, right? Maybe it's just me, you know? You, you, you open your doors and you just hope for that you pray, oh God, make this go well, and then hopefully it does. But isn't it funny, these holiday seasons, often things aren't quite so idyllic. 
Um, I remember whenever I was a kid, uh, we would have big family gatherings. We were talking about this, how we hosted this year and how it becomes more normative that as you grow up, you start hosting and your parents don't host and everyone comes to your house and you do that stuff. And I was reminiscing about all the times that I went to my grandma's house on Christmas and how as a kid, it was awesome, right? I just remember going and all my cousins were there. It was, there was no worries. It was fun. We'd play games. We'd break stuff. I mean, and it was Christmas, so nobody got in trouble. You know how it was. Uh, and I mean, normally if you broke stuff, we'd get in trouble, but not on Christmas. It's like it's Christmas. They go, just settle down a little bit, you know, and then everything is fine. And, and um, sometimes, I think I told you before, but Christmas in my family was a very spiritual thing too. Christmas Eve, we would like get out the nativity and talk about Jesus going in the manger and we would tell the story again, remember again what we were doing. And uh, it was a spiritual experience. And I thought, oh, isn't that beautiful? It's like euphoric, you know? It's like a Norman Rockwell painting except that it always wasn't. Because I remember as I grew up, some of the drama at Christmas. I remember as I grew up, some of the siblings, meaning my uncle and aunt and mom, and that weren't getting along. I remember that there were times where people would say, why are we even doing this anymore? And as I grew up into it, it became less idyllic and more difficult. I don't know if it's like that for you at all. I'm not trying to say it should be because it would be great if it was always euphoric, but sometimes reality at Christmas is much harder. Sometimes life isn't how we would like it to be. What about you? What were your uh, Christmas experiences like? Uh, one more thing here, by the way. I remember as a young person, and I hope I'm outgrowing this at some point, but I remember as a young person, Christmas began to be very much about pride and competition with whoever show up, you know. How well are you doing? How well am I doing? This is like in my early 20s. Are, are, we, are we winning? Are, are our plans working? Who's achieving the most? It was, we were still giving gifts, but it wasn't idyllic, I'm sure. What are your experiences like? Are they perfect? Or maybe, since we're in the season of Christmas, how's it going this year for you? What does Christmas look like? Are you looking forward to it? Or are you like, oh, this one might be a tough Christmas? This week, I want to talk about, uh, in this first week in the series, um, the title this week is Facing an Imperfect Life. And so, by the way, if you've got an engagement sheet, we actually have fill in the blanks for this uh, series, so you can follow along if you'd like to and encourage you to do that. Um, also, bring a Bible. If you don't have one, we should have some around, hopefully. Um, but I would encourage you to read the word for yourself as we go through it today. But what does it mean to face an imperfect life? I think we can learn something from Mary and Joseph and Jesus today. So I'm going to ask you to do what we always do before we get into God's word and pray. So we'll pray together for wisdom. Father God, this morning as we come to you now, as your children, those um, born of your will and some of us born again of your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would sit at your feet and learn from you, that we would be willing to uh, just listen to you and our life circumstances and, and help you inform what we are facing and how we ought to proceed. I pray, Father God, that you would be our teacher and that we would be uh, listening and then we would be following after your own heart, that you would renew us in this season of Christmas as we anticipate Christ coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so we're going to work on a two text today, and I'm going to tell you, you can do what you want. We're going to work on a Luke 1 and Matthew 1, both the gospel texts. We're going to be jumping back and forth, so I apologize now for that. But I would encourage you maybe to, if you go to flip to Matthew, it's going to be right in front of Luke. Um, I would just encourage you to hold a finger in Luke right back, you know. So unless you want to keep flipping pages, it's up to you. Or you can stick an engagement sheet in one side and go back and forth. So I'm going to start by reading Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and then we're going to read Matthew uh, 1, 18. Before I read, actually, uh, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read Luke 1, 1 through 4, just as a framework for what Luke is trying to do in his gospel. This is what the word says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly uh, account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I want to lay it out as a framework for the Gospel of Luke, because Luke is trying to write an ordered account of what he has come to know about Jesus. And that'll, be, that'll help us kind of walk through this a little bit. So now picking up in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read 26 and 28. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And now I'm going to ask you to do that little trick and flip back to Matthew 1, 18. It's going to be one verse here. Um, and this is what the word says. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so those, those two ideas I want to start out, first of all, that uh, Mary and Joseph had a plan Okay, they had a plan for their lives, and, and, and as you read it, and we've heard this text so many times, but I want us to try to experience what it's like to be an excited, young, married couple. Like, I've had the pleasure of officiating a couple of weddings recently, and it's so fun to be able to participate in their joy, in the joyfulness of the occasion. And so you can imagine that Mary was a young virgin woman, and she was pledged or promised to be married. I actually think about, because this is interesting, like, what does it mean to be pledged to be married? It kind of reminds me of, like, whenever I was in high school in the 80s, you give someone a promise ring, right? It means, I'm going to marry you someday, you know? And so it was like anticipation for anticipation. Some kids these days do, like, those really long engagements, and that's cool. It's kind of another way to do that, but it's like an anticipation to an anticipation to a fulfillment of a promise. And so young Mary, a virgin, meaning she's been faithful and waiting for her husband, uh, was pledged or promised to be married. And she was not pledged to be married just to anybody, but you'll see here in the Gospel of Luke, she's pledged to be married to uh, Joseph. And Joseph is in the lineage, the household, the family of David. Now, I want to tell you real quick that Mary is, and Joseph are Jewish people, right? And so if you're going to marry well, that's a pretty good way to marry. You know, you're going to, you're going to marry Joseph of the house of David. Um, he, this is some, some status. I don't want to overblow it because I'm sure there are lots of people who are in David's household from the lineage of David. But it would be a great thing. You could think of fewer 
better examples for a husband than David. We know he wasn't perfect, but he ended up ruling after God's own heart, leading as a man after God's own heart. And so Mary had found herself pledged, she married to this one named Joseph, who is the household of David. So um, thinking about what it means to be pledged, you married here, it's the idea of being courted. Oh, wait, it means to be wooed. <laughs> she's been romanced into this. You know, she's courting with David There's, or with Joseph. There's all this flirting and this excitement that's been going back and forth in a relationship. And not only that, but dare I say it, and she don't get heavy into this in a minute, she's entering almost like a royal wedding. You know, you're going to marry into the king's family. How remarkable for Mary. I don't want to ever discount who Mary is because we actually know later in Luke that Mary has her own lineage of faith, that she's part of God's, the household of faith. But here it is, and I can't help but see the idyllic nature of everything that's been happening. I mean, the anticipation and the hope and the longing and the, and the achievement, the completion, the, the, what's going to come next, the unfolding of their plans. They had a plan together. Matter of fact, the angel Gabriel in the Gospel of Luke says, um, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Which again, if I was already excited about stuff, I'll, I'll be like, Wow, that's even better, right? It means that you are abundantly blessed by the Lord. Gabriel shows up. And by the way, Gabriel has one other job he does here where he goes and he has talked to um, uh, her cousin who's pregnant, her, her family who's pregnant. Uh, but um, he's come now to Mary to say, you who are highly favored, listen, you who are blessed abundantly by God. More than you can imagine, you've been blessed this would be a very good thing to be blessed by God, or so I would, I would think, right? Now, if we go back then to the Gospel of Matthew, it reads like this. This is the origin story of Jesus. I love that translation, by the way. It says this is how his birth came to be, but it's genesima, it means to come into being, and it's literally Jesus' origin story. Like, if you think of him as a superhero, the origin story is that he was going to be born of Mary, who was pledged to be married to Joseph. So it says the same thing, just oppositely, right? It says uh, he was, uh, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, right? Jesus' own origin story. Joseph probably has his life on track here, right? Uh, he's going to marry this woman, but he's been doing the right things. We, we, we don't know much about his history here, but you would think, right? And there is a bit of church history that would say that Joseph is a little older, more established. Matter of fact, to be betrothed, to be engaged, there had been a bride price paid, right? So you, that still happens, by the way, in our current day with some cultures where you pay a bride price. I just heard a report about it the other day. And so there was already some ability for Joseph to care for Mary. Mary's father would have felt good about Joseph marrying his daughter. This is going to go well, right? This guy's got a plan. He's got his life together. He's doing pretty well. I'm not saying he's hugely, but he's doing well enough, right? You're going to allow your daughter to marry him. And now he's going to marry this wonderful uh, virgin woman, and it's all finally coming together. One of my favorite things to say to couples when they're getting married is because we usually do the premarital counseling together and we get to the, uh, the moment of the, and I say, we're finally here. 
One of the things I tell folks a lot of times is they go, can we just get this over with? Because <laughs> wedding planning is hard, and there's a lots of logistics and lots of personalities. And when you're standing there, you're like, we've made it. We've accomplished. So they have all these plans are about to come together. We don't necessarily have a timeline on their marriage, but we know the plan is working, except that it doesn't quite go to plan. Read with me then, Luke 1, 29 through 34. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be, a great, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am yet a virgin? Right, And so now she's got a plan, things are going well, and then Gabriel comes and he makes this announcement to her. Now let's go ahead and we're going to flip then, and we're going to just read that second part of Matthew uh, 1, 18 and 19. Um, this is how the, the origin story of Jesus came to be. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to talk about those two things. We're going to spend more time, obviously, on Luke here. But it's interesting. So we have now uh, their life doesn't go to plan. So this is the first. And I think Mary's response is interesting here because I said it would probably be a good thing that an angel would come visit you, right? But it says that she was greatly troubled in the word. It says she was greatly troubled. The word there means to be agitated or disturbed or to be stirred up to the limit at Gabriel's words that Mary did not take this well, that she wasn't looking for her revelation from God for her future. She was looking to be married to Joseph. And so she was greatly troubled. And then it says she was pondering this, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So the first thing is she's agitated and disturbed, and she's all stirred up, not the plan she had. How many of y'all like change? How many of y'all don't like change? Okay, the change people didn't raise your hands. Yeah, there's some people that just don't like change, like any kind of change. And so you would identify maybe more with Mary, like, wait, what? Whatever you're about to say next, I don't know what this is. And, and she has this kind of going back and forth to the limits of her ability to understand what this could mean, right? And then pondering, thoroughly uh, thinking or debating or considering what this could mean. And then, of course, we find out that Mary was indeed afraid. How do you know this? Because it says she was greatly troubled, Wonder what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. So she has phobos. She has fear now over her future, over the plans. And all of a sudden, life is not going to plan anymore for Mary, right? Now, he's going to say some things here. He's going to say, watch. By the way, this word watch, behold, see, with your own eyes, what God's about to do comes up repeatedly in these texts. So the angel says, uh, behold, you will have a child and give birth to a son. No, you will, you, will, you, will, you will get hold of a child in your womb and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus or you will call him Jesus. 
And then the angel goes on and says this, and he will be, a, he will be great, megas, and he will be called the son of the most high, the highest son ever born. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So now, you and I read this, and you're like, man, that's awesome news about Jesus, right? Like I said earlier, you know, you think, this is going to be super cool. I mean, Jesus is going to be my house all the time. But isn't it wild how she's first afraid, and then there's these great big claims made about her future, what would it feel like to be responsibly part of that future? You're going to conceive a child. She's not even married yet. You're going to have a son. How do you know it's not going to be a girl, right? Like, what? Right away. Um, what else here? Uh, you're going to call him Jesus. Like, you don't even get a choice. You're going to, this is going to be his name. This is going to be his, his sex. And he, you're going to have him, right? And, uh, and, and so she has questions about this. What in the world? He's going to be great, megas, and he's going to be the highest son ever born. The Lord God will give, listen to this word, the Lord God will give him the throne of David, the throne of his father. That's how it reads in the Greek. What? He's going to inherit David's throne. I told you earlier, a royal wedding. But now, like there's a practicality to it. And then... The angel says it's the throne of his father. And you can go, well, yeah, through Joseph, like you're thinking maybe because he's in a lineage. But he means his father, the throne of his father, the throne of David, the throne that's promised and prophesied of, the throne that will endure forever. And that's what he says. He will rule over Jacob and his reign, his, his uh, sovereign space will last forever. <laughs> It's really funny to read this stuff because I kind of read it and go, man, that's super cool. But this is all freaking her out. And so she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. How am I going to have a child? There's an immediacy to her concerns, and there's lots of questions that she has for God. I, wanna, I have a question for you. Can you imagine that life? And we go, no, I mean, really, that's a lot to take in, you know. Wait a minute. Ooh, can you imagine an unplanned pregnancy in your life? Can you imagine an unplanned pregnancy in your kids' lives, in the woman that you're going to be married to's life? Or maybe it's not a pregnancy. Can you imagine a sudden death in the family right during the holidays? I recently had someone say that uh, a loved one died on their birthday. On my birthday. Not when I was expecting it. Can you imagine when life is interrupted by something you did not see coming? How about this? Because this is really deep what Mary's doing here. Can you imagine a, a hard call from God? A call to do a difficult thing that will shape the rest of your life and you weren't planning on it. See, that's what Mary's facing here. A life changed, a life not to plan, not to her plan. And, and we sang a song this morning about Christ's resurrection from the dead, but that means that he had to die. And if you're a biblical scholar at all, you know that she was there witnessing the death of her own son. How remarkable. Listen, what a hard life. Lest we make it idyllic and angelic and it's all so great, what a difficult call. For Mary, what a hard thing to face. Well, 
Joseph's story is very similar. There's a little backstory here. Becoming, uh, before coming together with Joseph is how it says in the, in the, in the Greek, right? What it, the way it reads, she was found to be pregnant. I love that. No, it says she was found to have a child in her womb. If, if you're betrothed to someone, if you're going to marry someone, that's not what you want to find, right? I mean, no matter how it's going for you, it's not what you want to find. It's especially not what you want to find if it's not yours, if you know you've not been intimate with the woman you're going to marry, how do you deal with that moment? I love the language she was found, Eurisco, discovered to have a child. I wonder how they discovered it. But she was having a child out of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, let's, let's go look at uh, 18 and 19 of Matthew to see what, uh, what he does. I think I'll read 18, I'll read 19. Listen to this. Because Joseph, so she can have a child out of the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, first of all, and secondly, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. The word says to send her away, right? Uh, this the word here is actually interpreted divorce because it's the same thing when Jesus says, if you want to send your wife away, you, sh- you shouldn't. God has joined you together, right? And so when he's teaching later about this very thing, it's about divorce or being sent away. But isn't it interesting? It says that he did not, he was a righteous person. You know, I told you kind of his life together. But secondly, and I love this about Joseph. Can we just appreciate it? He did not want to make an example out of her. That's what it says in the Greek. He has no interest in making a show of this thing. He has no interest in like pushing her down or making her own it, you know? Uh, I've, I've seen uh, all too often in life how when unplanned experiences come to fruition, we are quick to shove other people down. How dare you? How could you? Right? By the way, just a little side note here, if I can take a little detour into life. I said this before. We ought to be people who celebrate life no matter what. <laughs> I remember one time... Uh, I was listening to a guy talking about this, and he said uh, his whole life he had been preaching, be abstinent and make wise decisions and all this stuff. And then one of his kids came home and said, Dad, I'm pregnant. And he goes, and in a moment, I had to make a decision about what my life convictions were going to be. Am I excited or am I going to go, how could you? And his story was, he said, praise God. I'm so glad. Not the plan we had, not what we've been encouraging you to do, but God has favored us. You see, this is the position that we can come to when we think about the fact that God knits children together. And and Joseph, he's like, I don't want to kick her, I don't want to push her down, but he's going to divorce her because it's not what he wanted. It's not what he had planned for So you have now Mary and Joseph off script, off plan. One of my, uh, one of these pithy little quotes I love so much, it's attributed to Mike Tyson about fighting. He said, everyone has a a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? I know that's more of a guy relatable thing there, but you know, you're like, I'll do this and I'll do that. And somebody hits you and you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do right now. (laughs) And you gotta fight, flight, freeze, faint, (laughs) whatever you're gonna do. Um, everyone thinks they have a plan until life gets hard. 
And it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And Joseph makes a plan B. I'm going to send her away. All right, here's the last point then. Uh, we're going to pick back up in Luke 1, 35 through 38. And, and uh, just read the word here. The angel answered. Because Mary asked, how is this going to be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month, because nothing is impossible with God. Mary replies, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And we'll go ahead and finish reading Matthew as well. Matthew 19, he's going to divorce her gracefully, quietly, send her away. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, oh, how beautiful is that? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And again, we know this story, right? But now we go on this journey. They have a plan. Their plans are interrupted. It's not going to plan. What's the last point? God never abandoned Mary or Joseph. And you might go, well, yeah, of course he didn't. It's his son, Jesus. But I don't think that's what's at work here. God does not abandon his people in their trials, in their struggles, in their difficulties. In answering Mary's question, how can this be? Mary is told what? Fundamentally, the Holy Spirit will work it out. The Holy Spirit's gonna do it. She could see no way this is gonna go well. She could see no way she could handle the job she had been given. She could see no way she could be faithful to the call in her life. But the first promise that comes from the angel is that the Holy Spirit will do this. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna be with child. And, and uh, let's just read it real quick. You'll be... Uh, yeah, the angel said, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You'll be a child. Oh, here it is, 34. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You'll be enveloped in God's care. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So first of all, we know that the promise is that the Holy Spirit is active in Mary's life and that she does not, listen now, not have to face this alone nor does Joseph, but they can face it together with the Holy Spirit. Then the angel says this, even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age, and she's in her sixth month, uh, considered to be barren, right? But I love this last verse here, 37, because nothing is impossible with God. And in the Greek, it's actually double negative. It says, nothing is not possible. And if you read that the other way around, it means that everything is possible with God. And so I just want to say something to you today, practically in your life. If you're facing something you didn't plan, if you're facing something that's really hard, if you're facing something that's reshaping your whole life, and you're like, how do I deal with this? 
I want you to hear that God says nothing is impossible with him or everything is possible with God. I don't think that's only for Mary and Joseph, but for any of us who are believing in Christ and following after God's will for our lives. We didn't plan it, but God led us there. Well, speaking of how Mary responds, I love this so much because Mary responds in faith. Wow. And, and Mary says this, behold or look, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Now, I wanted to use the word handmaiden because that's gotten to be like a dirty word now because of our cultural zeitgeist, but it means indentured servant or slave. She says, look, I am your servant. May it be to me what you said. And, and Mary could have had a whole bunch of other options, but I love the beauty of her faith filled response. When she's told that God is going to be with you and nothing's impossible, her response is not fear, but faith. And she says these words, may it come to be according to the word you have spoken. Isn't that wild? And so Mary's response is like, yeah, not my plan. Ooh, that sounds a lot like her son, Jesus, but yours. Do your will in my life. My life is not going perfectly well right now. Well, then Joseph, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, having pondered this problem, and he's already decided to send her away, but now he's pondering it. It means to thoroughly examine it of your mind, to give every angle inside. He's been thinking this all through, right? He's, he's got a passionate response to all these things. He's, he's really you know, convicted about it. Uh, the word says this, and then look, Watch, behold, an angel appears to Joseph, what, in his dreams, right? So like he's settled, I'm doing it, he goes to bed, and wham, in the middle of his sleep, in the middle of his dreams, an angel appears and says what? Joseph, do not be afraid. What does he say? Joseph, son of David, oh, don't be afraid. You're, you're, you're in the king's household. Don't be afraid. Why? Because what is happening is of the Holy Spirit. You see, Joseph was likely functioning in fear when he's like, I'm going to put her away. I'm going I'm to make a plan. Plan B, i got to get out of the situation. i got to save myself. And the angel interrupts his plan again and says, no, this is of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to call him Jesus, and listen to what the word says, because he, this one, will save his people from their sins. Wow. Wow. Think about the reality of what Joseph is being told, that the, the, the child being born, the son being born by the woman he's going to marry is going to save all his people, meaning Christ's people, from their sins. The dream goes on and says this, this has come to pass to fulfill what's been spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And it's, if you want to look it up, it's in Isaiah 7.14. It says this, The virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? So we have the same thing now, a promise from God. God is in this. He's not left you alone. You don't have to do it of your own accord. And, and it's going to be a wonderful thing for everyone 24, man, so good. When Joseph awakes, he did what the angel had commanded him or instructed him is the way I like to read that there, right? So Joseph responds in faith, 
by taking Mary home as his wife. That's what the word says. He responds with his life. The Lord has settled something in Joseph's heart and mind. I'm going to be obedient to you. Where Mary says, may it be with me. I'm your servant, your slave. Joseph's like gets up and does it. He's a faithful man of God. And he takes her home. And then get this. He waits for the child to be born. The word says they have no relations, right? Because he knows. And then he, oof, he gets the privilege of naming Jesus Jesus. Isn't it funny that, that they said to Mary his name will be Jesus, but then they said, uh, the angel says to Joseph, uh, you're going to name him Jesus, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he, gets to, he does it. He names him Jesus. What are you facing right now in your life that requires a faith-filled response? Like, what part of your life right now are you, are you facing that requires you to take an action on the conviction that you have, right? Not just your head, you've decided, but your heart, your life. You're, you're being moved. What things are you looking at that require obedience even when you aren't fully comfortable? I think that's what we see modeled in Mary and Joseph as they prepare to raise Jesus See, just like Mary and Joseph, God is making a way for us even when, and may I say, perhaps especially when our life is not going to plan anymore. One of the things I hear from anyone who talks about this stuff is the perception of control. We function under the perception of control. And so long as it looks like you're in control of your life, you can live in the lie that you are in control. But the minute you're not in control, your life is interrupted, your plans are pushed aside, things get very weird for us. And we realize we're not in control. But we know this, that God is making a way. And I, I want to say one final thing. And just let this sit. Because we all have hopes and dreams and aspirations and plans and things we'd like to see happen, right? But God never abandons us. Like, he never abandons us. It's not like he's like, well, one too many mistakes. Well, one too many wrong turns. Well, one too many things that you didn't think was going to happen in your life. No, God does not leave us or forsake us, but he draws near to us. He saves us. The word says he grabs us, Right? and redeems us. If you think, if you believe the lie you've been abandoned by God, I want to challenge it today. He has not abandoned you. You are not left to your own best plan. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share a verse on the screen. This is Proverbs 16, 9, and it says, in their hearts, humans, people, mankind, plan their course, right? We see the roadmap, man. We're like, we got a plan. We're going to go places. But the word says this, but the Lord, Yahweh, establishes every footfall. He plants our feet. And you can read that verse and you can say, oh, so I see the path, but God makes sure I'm on it, you know? No, no, no. You see the path and God puts your feet where he wants you to be. There is nothing about your life that's accidental, he is sovereign over us. The Lord plans or plants, establishes our steps. So, final question today, how are your plans going? 
Or what are your plans for the holidays? Do you know, do you believe that Jesus is directing your steps in life? Or do you know that he's with you even and maybe especially when you're facing an imperfect life? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God that does not abandon or forsake your children. That the things you've called us to, you walk with us through. That you don't abandon us, you don't leave us. And I know many of us, Father, have this view of you that you're just waiting for us to screw up, waiting for us to make a mistake so you can condemn us. But your gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ actually says the exact opposite. That while we are yet sinners, you sent your son to live to be raised, to be perfect, and to die so that we might be free of sin. That that's your great gift to us. I pray, Father, this morning that there's those of us here who are so believing that we've been abandoned by you or believing that there's a sin that's too far for you to redeem, that you, by your Holy Spirit's power and teaching, would drive that from our lives, that we would recognize in you the path to eternal life, that you are saving us as your people and then, Father, as we look and really practically get into the holiday season, that we would have eyes to see that it's not in our perfect plan, but in the imperfections that you are most glorified, that the places where we don't see a way, you make a way. And we get to celebrate your work. Would you help us this holiday season to see your uh, guidance and leadership in our lives? even when we can't see it. Help us. We love you so much. We thank you for Jesus who died to set us free. And we pray in his name. Amen.